How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily podcast on the New York Knicks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, my city and wide. Yeah, let me take my time. I'm on my grind. Gotta make sure that we shine. What's yours is mine, and what's mine is yours. HR to the death and first always my team for sure. Go roll. Can't fall off. Got a family support. Gotta make sure we succeed and reach our dream. Now live through me. I'm about to take off. Yeah. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Knicks podcast. This is episode 113. I am your host, Jared Dubin, talking late Tuesday night with Brian Giberman about what we like and don't like about a potential Derek Rose-Ricky Rubio swap that has been heavily rumored over the last couple days or so, coming from a whole bunch of different people reporting it now. So we're just going to talk back and forth what we do and do not like about swapping these two point guards. Brian, thanks for coming on. Back-to-back days, man. I appreciate it. Oh, no problem. Gets me uh, out of the uh, newsroom at my office for 15 minutes. I'm good with that. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's always a good time whenever you can blow off work to talk about potential trades that may or may not happen. Um, it, it seems like at this point there is a better chance that it does than doesn't. Uh, obviously, the deal may grow beyond just Rose straight up for Rubio. Um, you know, The motivation seems to be coming more from Minnesota's end in terms of thinking that Rose is an upgrade on Rubio for them for you know the rest of the season and until Chris Dunn is really ready to take over the point guard role there, at least from uh, you know the, the reports that are out there and from the people that I've talked to. That sort of seems like the motivation here. It's not like the Knicks are going around um, selling off Rose in this particular deal. Um, but then again, uh, Woj had in a Facebook Live video that he's doing, he said that the Knicks are not concerned about the return they're getting for Rose, they're just looking to move him. So maybe it's, you know, a little bit of a different scenario in other teams they're talking to than it is with Minnesota, but what do you think about this potential deal? Like, obviously it could grow and that changes the calculus a little bit, but just a um, an initial reaction to a deal that includes these two players. Well, for first, I think you bring up an important aspect of it in your opening monologue there, is the distinction of how this deal is going down is important. And the difference between the two angles is the difference between if Thibs is, if Thibodeau is pushing for this and he really wants Rhodes, that means the Knicks have leverage and they might even be able to get something else out of this and not just Rubio. If that is the main factor behind what's getting worked on here. Now, if it's the Woj angle, where it's the Knicks shopping them around and just trying to get rid of them, that would make you think maybe they might get something worse than Rubio, or the T-Wolves just value Rubio so little, they want to get rid of his money and add Rose, and that's a way for them to dump money, then they can play Dunn and... 
invest that $13 million they have in Rubio during the offseason. So that matters in how this trade gets looked at. From a Knicks perspective, you obviously hope it's the first one. Simply for me, now just if it was a Rubio for Rose deal, one for one, I, I think that works out very well in the Knicks' favor. Number one, there, there's a couple different angles off of this, but just simply he's a distributor that will better help develop the Knicks' talent and say that even and even if they keep Carmelo Anthony, maybe Carmelo will play off the ball a little bit more because he knows he's playing with a point guard who's going to get him the ball when he's open for good quality shots. So that that's just the very basic of it for me, that Rubio would fit better with the offensive talent they have. Yeah, the, um, the Carmelo aspect of it I think is interesting because, you know, in, in my opinion, Rubio overall is a better player than Derrick Rose. I don't think it's particularly close. The only thing Rose does better than Rubio is put the ball in the basket himself. Rubio is a better rebounder, a better passer, better defender, better at everything else on the court except for putting the ball into the basket himself. Uh, obviously, putting the ball into the basket is very important, but even if you look at that, I'm pretty sure Rubio actually has a better true shooting percentage than Rose this season. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure no, no, that's true. It's it's like fifty, it's like fifty three to fifty one or some fifty three percent to fifty one percent. I was looking at that at, at that earlier. I don't totally get the math behind that. I'm not gonna lie. It, I mean, the three point set percentage is slightly more. I believe his free throw percentage is slightly better, and then Rubio's overall field goal percentage is way worse. I didn't think the difference in freeze and free throws was enough to make up the difference in that. So when I was eyeballing that, I thought that was a little weird. Well, I think a lot of it is Rubio doesn't really shoot, and so gets to the free, like free throws make up so much more of his attempts within the true shooting calculus, and, and same with threes. Um, yeah, his free his free throw rate, I believe, was thirty percent. Yeah, his free 30%. throw rate is actually, I mean, forty six percent. So basically, he's taking forty six percent as many free throws per game as shots. So that that would be why his true shooting is higher because he's getting to the okay, line. Okay, so it was even it was even higher than I thought it was. Yeah, like they, they get to the line a similar amount of times per game, but Rose does it while taking so many more shots. So is his is his three point uh, percent not three point percent his. Uh, Percentage of threes, three yeah, rate. that's that's yeah, way that, higher. Is also. that in the thirties? Yeah, way higher. Okay, that's what I was thinking of. Right, I was confusing those two. Yeah. So it's, I mean, look, Rose is better attacking the basket off the drive to create for himself. He's better, um, you know, mid-range jumpers. He's a better shooter from pretty much all areas on the floor. But he shoots so much and so inefficiently in general, um, you know not more inefficiently, um, you know, from specific spots than Rubio, but Rubio, get his ability to get to the line, um, you know, as a percentage of his own looks, um, that's, that's what drives that true shooting up. But, you know, my, this was my roundabout way of saying, like, I think Rubio is probably a better player overall than Rose, but I'm not sure that players... Agree, and I'm not sure that someone like Carmelo agrees 
And I, I, I do wonder what would happen if the Knicks, say, traded Rose, you know, right after we finish this podcast or tomorrow, and then Carmelo was surveying the landscape of the league, would he then decide, like, okay, I see you're uh, rebuilding and you're moving on to a young point guard there, um, maybe you can trade me now. Like, I wonder what his reaction would be to that. I don't think that's completely unreasonable. I'm just going to play devil's advocate as a reason maybe Melo wouldn't think that way. The Olympic stuff. He's played against him in the Olympics, and I bet you he has some... I would think he has some respect for him from them playing Spain and whatnot. I mean, I would think he does too, but I, I think that the star perception of Rose is kind of still there, weirdly, even though he's not played that way. And, you know, I just... I, I don't know... For sure that it would say, make him say that, but I, I do think it would raise the question, like if they're if he's like, oh, we're getting younger, we're we're not moving in the direction I thought, um, you know, maybe they are rebuilding. Like obviously it takes more than that for something to come together, but I think it's uh, I think it's an interesting uh, thought of what might happen there. And, and I do agree with you. It definitely puts that in play. Maybe it wouldn't be able to come together as quick by Thursday. But during the, I mean, during the summer, something like that can still, can still happen. Yeah, I, I think there's a another consideration to be talked about with Rubio too. Um, you know, he does obviously add money to the books for the next two years. Um, that takes you out of the running somewhat for free agents this summer, depending on what happens with Carmelo after the deal. Um, it's also, you know, again, we've talked so much about the point guards in this draft. I mean, I, I wonder if they would say, like, we're not going to take one now because we have Rubio. Like, I don't think that would necess- that would be the smartest move in the world. Like, Rubio's 26. He's probably not getting much better than he is now. He's been proven that, you know, though the Minnesota offense is better with him on the floor. The team has been better with him on the floor throughout all of his seasons. It's also like been proven that there's some problem with having him on the court in certain situations just because he's such a non-threat to score himself. So, you know, I, I wouldn't want it to preclude them from taking one of the, the you know, the point guards that are going to be available in the draft or even looking at another point guard in free agency. And, and that, ch- and in us looking at it, I think, and we're both on the same page as this, acquiring Rubio shouldn't stop you. If one of those point guards are there and you love them, you take them. Like, if you get the first pick somehow, you're taking Volts even if Rubio's on the team. It's not It's not stopping you from that. That would you be should, at least. Say. You know, I mean, who knows, but that's, that certainly and, should be. But I, I do like that it gives you maybe a little bit more flexibility, because right now, how the Knicks are constructed, you might go too far the other direction. You maybe would force a pick for a point guard, even if it's the not the best player on the board, because you're not going to get a good one in free agency, most likely. I mean, Chris Paul seems unlikely. Kyle Lowry, I, there's no reason I think he would come here. The most logical one we talked about this last time was probably Drew Holiday, and it seems like he's off the board at this point. So that might have led them to doing the opposite of that and maybe forcing a pick, maybe taking DeAndre Fox when someone who there was a better wing player on the board. So now if you have Rubio in and you have your board stacked in a certain way, maybe it's Dennis Smith and Josh Jackson and 
you like Josh Jackson more than Dennis Smith. We can argue back and forth whether that's the right thing or not, but you can you have a little bit more flexibility to take that wing player instead if you like them more. When if you don't have Rubio on the team and you're going and Rose is gone after the year, Brandon Jennings is gone after the year, or you want him as your backup again. You don't want him as your starting guy. You force yourself into taking that point guard. That makes a degree of sense. Um, you know, I think it's, and I'm going to do a podcast actually tomorrow with Sam Vecini on, you know, all of the the draft options because um, we're doing so much trade talk this week. I wanted to get some draft talk in there too, but it's it's sort of like football teams tend to do this where because free agency comes before the draft in football where they fill their holes with sort of, or, or some football teams tend to do this. Uh, it's something that the, actually the Cowboys have done since the last time they went and spent big in free agency. What they like to do now is sort of sign like veteran stopgap guys in free agency for a year or two that they know can play the position at an average or slightly above level. And then that allows them to then draft whatever position they want. Like, they're okay signing Justin Durant in free agency so that they don't have to reach for Miles Jack in the first round or something like that, just to use a, an example. But it, it's something that I think could work for the Knicks there as well. Like, Rubio isn't necessarily, you know, a great point guard of the future that you're going to lock in for 10 years. Uh, he might turn out to be that. But I don't think you know that for sure right now based on the way he's played throughout his career. But if you get a guy you know is a pretty good point guard for two years that is going to help Chris Stapps get better and is going to play defense and is not going to be high usage and will distribute the ball to all of your guys, you know that then allows you to say, okay, if a point guard is the best player on the board, then Rubio will be our bridge. If a point guard is not the best player on the board, then we can take you know, um, just to use like an example, we can take Harry Giles or Jason Tatum or whoever, and uh, and be okay with that because we do have a point guard now. But the Timberwolves literally just did this. Yeah. You can do exactly what they did, and maybe you a year from now you move. You say if they locked into Fultz, then you can just trade Rubio and get something in return for him. Or you can play them together. Yeah, and play them together. You have you have all sorts of options that you shouldn't limit yourself yeah. to. I, I do think it's somewhat on. strange that they seem to be so unenamored with him. Yeah, I thought that I thought Thibodeau would like him. Right, because he's a good defender. Although I I will say his defense has slipped this year. I think I don't think he's been as good uh, on that end this season. I mean that's true of most of them. It's a different defensive system than they're used to. It's you know got much stricter rules than really any other defensive system in the league. And I think. For you know, a large part of the season, those guys have have all kind of struggled on that end. But um, I I think that it's it's important to note he's not necessarily um, as good a defender this year as he has been through the rest of his career, and that's got to be a consideration too. Yeah, the one thing that surprised me looking through some of his numbers, I didn't realize how gross his catch-and-shoot numbers even were. Like, they're grotesque. Everybody talks about, you know, his his jumper being the problem. To me, the bigger problem is that he can't finish near the basket. You can still be an effective player without a jumper if you're a threat to score around the rim. 
he's not a threat to score literally anywhere on the court except for the free throw line. And there's really Order no reason. To, the, there's no Order reason to ever put numbers. him on the free throw line because he can't shoot and he can't finish. What are his at the rim numbers? Do you have those there? Or like I'll bring them up right now. Like but they're three feet, whatever they have on Basketball Reference. They're bad. Like it's been bad throughout his career. This is not a new issue. It's something that's been around, you know, since he came into the league. Like, so you look at it. Rookie year, zero to three feet, forty-eight point five percent, considerably below average. Forty-four point eight, forty-nine point one. Uh, the year he only played twenty-two games, thirty-three percent. Last year, 52%. This year, 50%. And, you know, bad numbers, you know, for his career, 26% from 3 to 10 feet, 30% from 10 to 16, 37% from 16 to the three-point line, and 31% from three. You know, there is no area on the court from which he's an above-average threat to score, or even an average threat to score. Think about how good his passing has to be, that he makes teams better with all of that. Right? It's really like, it, good. It's crazy to think about. He's, I mean, look, he's a genius-level uh-huh. passer, um, and that's something that we've known for a long time. And you look at it, um, four out of his six, or, yeah, four out of his six years, the team has been better with him on the court. One year it's been exactly even. One year it was exactly even. But this year they're actually almost four points per 100 possessions worse with him on yeah, the floor. Tight. Tyus Jones has the best on-off numbers for that this year. Yeah. I think that's partially because you have a bunch of guys who need the ball in their hands and that it's the dynamics a little bit different because you're relying on Towns and Wiggins to create offense for themselves and you're probably I mean I don't watch I don't watch the Timberwolves every night so it's it's unfair of me to say this but I'm just putting two and two together that he's probably not doing as much creating. And when you're playing him off the ball more, that that's not going to be a helpful situation. Well, you have someone like Tyus Jones, I'm guessing his catch-and-shoot numbers are pretty decent, and he's playing off guys in a, by space in the court better. Yeah, I mean, it's some of it is their, uh, their starting lineup has been a disaster offensively, uh, or sorry, defensively. And uh, they've been a little bit better on defense with the bench units. But, look, you know, for the first, again, for the first five years of his career, the team was better with him on the court than off. Uh, I, I tend to trust that more than one year where the team is worse, especially because it's not like, you know, he's hurt this year a lot or, you know, he suffered a big injury last year that would have affected his play this season. You know, the, the injuries are, you know, a couple of years ago now. Um so it's, I mean, look, he's a good player. He's not a great player. I think on balance he's probably a better player right now than Rose. Um, you know, it does eat into your cap space. It does potentially affect the draft picks. But I've said, you know, several times throughout the season, I think if you can get anything of value for Rose, that's a win. Yeah, and I think this would... This honestly, this would make up for partially make up for two of Phil's biggest mistakes because I would if I would have considered trading Lopez and Grant for Rubio. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I would have liked that certainly better than trading them for Rose. Uh, Would it have definitely still come with signing Joe Kim Noah? 
because then I'm not no. sure how much it changes. True, that 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 part of it's true. This is the fa- I, I'm seeing Timberwolves fans who think Scott Layden's going to like save Thibodeau from doing this trade, and I just sit at my yeah. computer laughing maniacally. Chris Herring uh, on Twitter earlier was like, uh, you know, it's so weird to see Knicks fans excited about what they're going to get in a potential trade, which I, I think is funny because you know we've been on the other side of these Scott Layden deals uh, a whole lot in our lives. It's like. Just because a guy worked for the Spurs, like I watched what he, like he was a Nick GM, and he's far and away the worst Knicks GM that had they had in my life. Like, do you re, do we realize what that means? Yeah, it's so it's also like GMing or coaching or playing or whatever. It doesn't like transfer by osmosis, you know, like. It's it's like these people that think all oh, Tom Brady's backups are going to be really good quarterbacks. Like these things don't just transfer because you're in close proximity to someone. Like you actually have to know what you're doing. The, the Patriots coaching staff is an even better example of that with Belichick. Sure. Yeah. That I'd argue Mancini was actually a pretty decent. Had his moments where he was decent, but all the other ones. I mean, there's been a you lot know, of bad. Man, there. Mancini's greatest accomplishment is that. In the final season of The Sopranos, they're at Artie's restaurant, and Artie walks over to the table, and he's like, Hey, Tone, you see who's here tonight? Man, genius. And Tony's like, I should go over to say it, to say hello. So his claim to fame is that Tony Soprano wanted to say hello to him during season six of The Sopranos. Other than that, he didn't that, really do much. That's mean to my boy, Man, genie. Man, genius? I love the way I Artie just... says Man, genius. Like... He was good. He's he was the one who set that team up for the success when Rex was there. Like that was his team. Look, it was all Mark Sanchez, and everybody knows it. Get out of here! Now you're taunting me. <laughs> Look, my team just lucked into Dak Prescott. I can make quarterback jokes, and Mark Sanchez was on the team this year. Yeah, no, that part's him. And didn't he? And he played against them when he was on the Eagles the year before. Didn't he throw a bunch of picks against Dallas? Yeah, probably. I mean, who knows? Uh, the so he throws picks year. against every every time. He's you know what's funny was I made a, a joke before the season that uh, you know my favorite team was about to start a fourth round rookie uh, for the season at quarterback, and I had the best quarterback situation of anybody that lives in my apartment because I live with uh, a Vikings fan and a Jets fan, and that actually wound up being true. <laughs> yeah, it really did. Holy shit. Yeah. Like, that really worked out. Yeah. Like, you're, you're cracking jokes on yourself, and it turns out to be right. Yeah, hey, look, you know, that's why you got to get those jokes out. Every once in a while, you might wind up being right. But I, I think that this signal that, you know, we're now talking about Dak Prescott and Mark Sanchez and all this other nonsense is probably enough to tell us that for tonight, this is going to do it for the podcast. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow talking to Sam Vecini about some draft stuff, as well as posting the mailbag questions that people send in today and tomorrow and uh, talking about some of the polls that I put on Twitter. Thursday, we'll see what happens with the trade deadline. Friday, as I said, Ian Begley from ESPN talking about what the Knicks did at the deadline. Brian, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. No problem. Fine. I'll go back to work. Go back to work. And, uh, talk to you later. Uh, we'll see if something happens with, uh, with the Knicks tonight, tomorrow, whenever. Uh, hopefully Woj gives us some bombs here. <laughs>